I got to say, did it not have the worst hair and clothes of all time? Uh, as you're looking back at that, but a lot of fun. You know, a lot of great music came out of there. Of course, uh, there were a lot of almost one-hit wonders uh, like, you know, Survivor. And actually, they wrote uh, another song that actually our drama department just discovered this last week. Uh, watch this. Got that. 
Once again, no need for a sermon. Let's just close in prayer and go on. Boomers are, it's a random, obviously, category, but as far as looking at generation, between 1946 and 1964, not only is it the largest, around 75 to 76 million, but Boston College researcher, their graduate school, has just projected that in the next 35 years, the boomers and the builders will give away the greatest wealth in the history of the planet, $41 trillion in the next 35 years will pass hands. And the question is, what are we going to give to them? Not just that the wealth that we will pass along when we die, but what are we giving to this next generation? If you're visiting, hopefully that you're going to share with us. This applies to you and your home church, or if you don't have a home church that you can find one. But taking a look at how do we prepare the next generation for the call on their life. If Christ doesn't return in our lifetime, how are we going to get them ready? And one of the most important things we can give them is freedom financially. woman was saying to her friend, she said, you know, who is very wealthy, she said to her friend, she said, I'm the one who made my husband a millionaire. And her friend said, really, what was he before? And she said, he was a billionaire. You know. <laughs> I have a couple billionaire friends, and you know what they worry about? Same thing you do. They're children. But they worry in a different way. They don't worry about providing for their children. They're very concerned about what the money is going to do to their children. And you and I, as we take a look, and David has this brilliant statement. I will not offer to the Lord my God that which costs me nothing. He's not going to let somebody else rob the blessing of giving to God. It's not about bribing God. It's not about being against wealth. It's about realizing that we need to control it, not it control us. And Paul, writing, as I said, to a fairly wealthy church, Ephesus was his longest ministry, three years, but Corinth, right there, the temple of Aphrodite on southern Greece and the trade route, it'd be like planting a church on the strip in Vegas. And he had both Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. And he said to them, when you give in your life, not only spiritual gifts, but finances, faith, hope, and love, are both revealed as well as released. A sacrifice tells you what you trust, what you put your faith in. A sacrifice reveals your hope. Hope is not how you earn a living, but what you're living for. And it releases life into you. And above all, a sacrifice reveals your love. What's the most important thing to you that you'll sacrifice for? And when we come to the Lord and we honor Him in that sense, as we're going to do, and joyfully saying, thank you to God, and you can't honor God with what you don't have, you'll honor Him with what you do have, that God responds in a powerful way. Well, let's take a look back at this scripture. Turn with me back over to King David in 2 Samuel 24, as he finds himself in this dilemma on page 263 in your pew Bible. You know, as I said, if we could give anything to our children, our children are not just the young age-wise. I told you we baptized a couple recently 78 years young to the Lord and teaching them what does it mean now to follow Christ. And David is going to give this to the Lord. Look at verse 22. Aranua said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, the yokes. All this, O king, Aranua gives to the king. And he said, may the Lord your God respond favorably to you. Now, this is a Mount Zion. This is where Abraham offered Isaac. This is where the temple is today, this spot in Jerusalem. And he comes to this spot, 
And the owner of the land, Arunula, says, the king says, I need the sacrifice to the Lord because this plague is taking people out. Arunula says, I'll pay for this. And David said, not on my life. I will not offer to the Lord my God. That which cost me, that's not giving to God. It's tipping God. And now he's, again, this is not bribery. This is not trying to buy his salvation. It's showing, it's clarifying in David's own heart, his love and what's important. Faith is only as good as the object it's placed in. You know, people say today, because faith, spirituality is in, Christianity is out. Faith is in, but faith in what? A lot of us, if you have faith in something that's trustworthy, that's smart. You have faith in something that's going to break your heart, that's stupid. And so as you place faith in things, that's what it describes to us. And what's important is then this, when David is saying, I trust in the Lord, I look to him. And the most important thing to me is to give to him, then God releases that. This, uh, you have to, as Bob Dylan said, you have to serve somebody. Andrew Carnegie, when he was 28 years old, we talked about him last week, said this. Man must have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol more debasing than the worship of money. So when he's 28 years old, we said by the time he was 33, Carnegie had made so much money, 10 lifetimes couldn't spend it. Look at what the president says about Carnegie when he's 68. I have tried hard to like Carnegie, but it's pretty difficult. There is no type of man for whom I feel more contemptuous abhorrence than for one who makes a god of mere money making, unquote. So Carnegie himself, who just said if you died with money, you died poorly. That's why he invented the first foundation. But he couldn't quit making money, not because he couldn't, because he couldn't walk away from it. And so he kept generating. And Roosevelt says, how do you love anybody that they're just about making money for money's sake? And that's what faith, it's saying for Carnegie, was putting faith in the ability to create wealth. Again, I had a, two nice ladies after the 9 o'clock service said, it sounds like you're pretty much against rich. I'm not against rich. I'm praying to God that you all may become rich. I'm praying to God that I may become rich. That's great. What I'm talking about is addiction. What I'm talking about is that when money is no longer your slave, but your master. And so as David takes a look at this and he explains that there's this place of being able to sacrifice is simply giving something of lesser value for greater value. When an athlete, when she's working out, as we said, and chooses to eat healthy and get up and run a lap when she doesn't want to, because she values victory more than she values feeling good at the moment. When a father gets up because that child is crying. I remember doing this both times. And and when a mother will do that because you you care for the, you give up sleep. Why? Because you love the child. When a lover chooses to let the one they love get the attention when they could have got it. It's because it's a greater value. And David is finding out that he's a value clarification process. And as we come to and respond to the Lord, we're totally directing our values. I love that story of, the true story of one of the survivors of the Titanic. She said when they were being, when the women and the children were being put in the lifeboat, that as they were starting to take off. She said, hold it. And she said, I got to get something. She went running back to her stateroom. She went running through the casinos where the chips and the dollars were about up to your ankle. She went running by where all the silver was from the dining, went running by the safe where all the jewels were and into her room, her cabin. And there was a three oranges in a bag. And she grabbed that to go to the lipo because she knew 
If they're going to be around the ocean a long time, those three oranges would be life-saving. All the money on the Titanic wouldn't do diddle. Those oranges were valuable. And that fast in our life, all the things that we think are valuable are going to pass away. What's going to last is really the true fruit of that. It's Veterans Day when we think about the men and women that have served in the armed forces and have given for our freedom. It wasn't that they didn't love their life, they didn't love their security, but they loved something more, the good of the nation. And so there's all these ways to be able to find out and to experience this goodness of God. The interesting thing is that we end up having gods. Our God is what controls us. What you think about when you wake up in the morning, during the day, what you go to bed at night, it won't pretty much tell you your deity. Have you ever seen the Devil's Dictionary? It was written back in the turn of the century, 1900. One of his definitions, remember those beers who originally started, Mammon, the god of the world's leading religion, his chief temple is in the holy city of New York. <laughs> Talking about that's what is, it's a play on definition, gold. A yellow metal, greatly prized for its convenience in the various kinds of robbery known as trade. The word was formally spelled God. The L was inserted to distinguish it from the name of another and inferior deity. God and gold are very close because many of us end up worshiping that. A sacrifice reveals not only what we trust, but also our hope, what we're living for. A lot of us look to the power of, and wealth doesn't have to be money. Wealth can be looks. It can be talent, it can be skills, it can be opportunity or position in life. Anything that comes between us and the Lord. Wealthy young student was taking a test and so uh, he hadn't studied much and so he filled it out and the professor was sitting there and after the test it was in a large lecture hall came up and he opened up and noticed one of the tests were filled out and it had a hundred dollar bill clipped to it. And it said a dollar for each point. So the next day the student arrived and he got his test and it had an F on it and he gave, was given $36 and change. That he hadn't gotten enough points to be able to do it. You cannot buy and bribe your grade. You cannot buy and bribe life. And it's so easy because we see people all the time doing this. And again, the whole point is God has given so much. It's a question of what we're living for. And if I can, as your pastor, give you anything, and so many of you are right on the money, but there's some of us that are so far off course. I had a friend in the first church I started, and she was a lovely lady. And I went over one day, because we were having a meeting over there, and her two junior high daughters had been horsing around in the front room, and they had broken this vase. It was a very expensive vase. And this woman sat down and said to her daughter with tears, Do you know what you have done? Just in tears. When I got there, the daughter was crying and saying, literally, I have ruined my mother's life. That's what mama was living for. She was living for all the good things of life. And her daughters had just ruined what she was living for. Nietzsche, who is hardly a raving evangelical, said, Hope is what you're living for. Despair is what you're living against. And the hope that you and I have is what we are living for. What are the things that matter in life? And when we say hope, we, 
Francis Bacon said, hope is a good breakfast, but a bad supper. What he means is if in the beginning of your life, you should have hope. But if at the end of your life, you really don't have any hope, it's just this wishful thing, then it's bad. This next slide up here that talks about these truths that Philip Slater talked about this German uh, munitions empire. Alfred Krupp of the German munitions empire was so obsessed with work, he built his home in the middle of his steelworks, the better to keep an eye on the factory at all times. He refused to go to concerts or other entertainments on the grounds that no music could be as sweet to his ears as the sound of steel being produced. So this German tycoon, he built his house right in the middle of steel guards so that nobody could cheat on him in time, and he refused to enjoy any of his money. A friend of Andrew Mellon said he loved the manipulation of millions with an intensity no woman could inspire. That with his money, what he did is he just manipulated everybody. And it wasn't that the wealth, it's what he was living for was power. And the money was a means to that. And what you and I, how we detangle ourselves, get unmeshed from this situation, is by having the Lord first in our life and to loving others. Albert Camus said, quote, even in a godless, meaningless world, life is worth living because the struggle itself is enough to fill a man's heart, even though there's no hope, unquote. Can one of the more, if you're really, if you're not depressed, read him. He'll just depress you totally. He said that life isn't really worth living, but you know, the struggle at least can fill the time. Did you see that interview? I don't know if it's CBS or NBC on Occupy Wall Street. And a reporter asked actually a very intelligent question. So I was really interested because that happens like what, once a decade? And so... One of the, the young guys out there was saying, we go, what are, what's going on? He says, we are against the greed of Wall Street and the tearing down and the injustice. And we're going to get rid of capitalism. And the reporter asked a great question. He said, what would you replace it with? And the kid walked away. That's a great question. So you're against the greed of Wall Street. And by the way, the greed of Wall Street comes from the greed of Main Street. It comes from all of us. And so he says, what would you replace it with? And the kid, I thought he'd at least have some kind of cutesy slogan. He had nothing. And he walked away. For you and I as Christians, as Karl Barth said to the Nietzsche's that were out there, to the Sartre's and the Heidegger, life is not about death, but about resurrection. That because of what Christ has done, that even when things get torn down, that God can build it up again. Soren Kierkegaard also saying hope is in the midst of this being able... Never cease loving a person or giving up hope on them. Even the prodigal son who had fallen most low was received and restored. He who was your friend but now is your bitterest enemy can again become that friend. Love grown cold can be revived because God is that sublime and redemptive. Unquote. Kierkegaard said, even the people that have broken your heart and you're estranged from, the hope we have is because we have a living hope, as Peter said, in Christ. And that, so you cannot give hope on people, even the ones that you work with or live with that have broken your heart. You can't fix them or change them. That's God's job. But to always be open for the Lord to be able to use that. And so a lot of people use money a lot of times for a false hope. You know, when I have a couple standing down here, I've told you before when I do weddings and they're always such a joy. The bride looks so beautiful and excited and the groom always looks like he's shell-shocked, you know, just standing there. and I never ask him their motives. I never say, what are your motives for getting married? Some of them are good, some of them are bad. I ask their intentions. Will you have this woman as your wedded wife? 
Will you have this man as your husband? What is your intention? In fact, a lot of us may give this one quote here, speaking to Robert Reich, who was the economic advisor to Clinton, said an interesting thing. He didn't say the top is from Aquinas. It's the love of the giver more than the gift of the lover. In other words, it's not the gift so much as the love behind that. Reich said this. Most voluntary contributions of wealthy Americans go to the places and institutions that entertain, inspire, cure, educate wealthy Americans. Art museums, opera houses, theaters, orchestras, ballet companies, private hospitals, and elite universities. Now, he's not putting that down. He'll go on to say that, by the way, the synagogues and the churches, the houses of faith, bring more to the American fabric than these do. And if you're against, by the way, giving to hospitals are great. Next time you're sick and you're laying in a bed in a hospital because somebody gave to help that education, I mean that hospital, that medicine to you, or in education, if you're sitting in a classroom and you could never have, tuition wouldn't have paid that and some wealthy donor gave something, or when you go to see a play or to see an art museum, or giving to those things are good, but they don't give the sense of hope. Hope is that sense of what we are living for. And the sacrifice reveals and releases not only our faith and our hope, but also our love. Turn with me back over to 1 Corinthians. Take a look at this once again. 13th chapter, page 934. Always this time of the year, you know, you always bring out uh, in churches the person that has a story, a testimony. They brought in the, the wealthiest man in the town, and he got up, and he told the church, he was gathered, he said, you know why God has blessed me? Because when I was a young man sitting back in that pew right over there, the plate came by, and I hesitated, but I only had $10, and I gave everything that I have into that plate, and today I'm a millionaire. And they all applauded, and a little old lady in the back said, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> it's one thing when you've done it then. It's another thing to say, let's start over. Look what Paul says here. In 13, uh, verses 1 through 3. We have to read this together. This is such great writing. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, But do not have love, I gain nothing. Wow. Paul says it doesn't matter what we say, what we know, what we believe, what we do, unless it's with love. In fact, if we do those things without love, it is simply an annoyance, a waste, and useless. And what he's telling the Corinthians is, that the power of love, and love is not God. God is love. There's a big difference between that. The secular world says love is what the very purpose of life is. No. Love is merely the attribute of who God is. And God's love and His justice, His mercy and His righteousness can never be separate. They're perfectly together. And the funny thing that when you love somebody, your happiness is bound in the happiness of the thing, the person you love. When you are... A parent you love your child and as they say every parent is only as happy as their most miserable kid isn't that true because you care about them when you're love lovers you want them to be doing well when they're miserable you're miserable 
God loves you. And he's made a hole in his heart that until you're happy and content, he's missing. That's why he says, Jesus says all the time, you've got to get control of this thing. Because I love you. And if we love God, again, it's not about buying or bribing or impressing him. It's about saying, I'm putting you first in my life. And one of the things that we have to teach our children is Christ's understanding of what to give. You know, I will never tell you what to give. That's between you and the Lord. And because God is a big God and he can lead you. People always say, well, isn't tithing an Old Testament concept? Isn't that done away with? Well, I hope not, because here's the New Testament one. Take a look at this one. Jesus is standing, this next slide of his pointing out. You've heard the story many a time. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. By the way, where they brought it up, he goes said that you could see what they gave. I remember... Uh, I was, one of the only, I was the only white member of the Black Ministerial Alliance in Denver and Detroit. One of the African-American churches I was at. It was great. When they give their offering, everybody comes forward and the pastor watches. No kidding. One time I saw that, he looked down and he went, not enough, let's do it again. I like that. I like that idea. So we did it. So, But Jesus is kind of, he's watching. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the other others. And you can tell the disciples have a glazed look on their eye. And he goes, they all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything. All she had to live on. You know what strikes me about that? She is giving to a temple so corrupt, Jesus has to cleanse it. And he calls the boys over and goes, come here, come here, come here, come here. She just gave more than they all did. Well, she's not giving to the temple. In her heart, she's giving to God. And she knows that this is the worship of God, and the temple does good things for others. And so likewise, if you're always looking for the perfect place, you'll never find it. But it's interesting, the Lord looks upon the heart in that sense. There are, and teach our children how to work hard, yes. The value of a dollar, what it really is, how to invest how to be able to manage wealth, but above all, to enjoy it. I told you before, you know, the rabbis say we will give an account for every blessing we refuse to enjoy. If God gives us something to enjoy, enjoy it. That's why he gave it. Churchill's my favorite illustration. Remember when that general from the fighting in the North Africa Corps was summoned back to talk about strategy and tactics, and he sat there, and Churchill, who was raised very wealthy and loved food, and he sat down and he offered the general, he said, would you like some caviar? And the general said, I will never eat caviar when our boys are in North Africa dying. And Churchill said a very insightful thing. He said, if you can show me how my not eating caviar will save one of those young boys' lives, I'll never let it touch my lips again. Otherwise, pass the crackers. What he's saying is, if you can show me how my going without will save one person, I'll never do it. But it's not our going without, it's their going with. And that's why if the Lord gives you something, He wants you to enjoy it. And if we can teach this next generation to enjoy wealth, and the fastest way to learn how to enjoy it is to give to the Lord. And give in places. And I so thank the Lord for so many of you. I had a gentleman just last week, he's having some marital problems, and he drove up here and he said, You know, in my life, when I am in trouble, I always come here to Bel Air. 
He said, I thank God for this church. That was one of the pastors of a church a lot larger than us, one of our partners. He said, you know what L.A. needs? And I said, well, a bigger road system. But he said, no, no, you know what it needs? It needs about 10 Bel Airs. I said, what is that? He said, about learning that we are all together. He's using my line, same team, different jerseys. You know, and helping each other. There's a reason that we're going to go down to the Christmas Live Nokia and they're graciously picking up the tab, which for the hall and the union pays around $200,000. Why are they doing that? Because they believe in the ministry that you are doing to this city. And they're not all Christians, by the way, down at the Staples Center. The reason that they are doing that is because they believe in how that you care in elevating and helping the poor and the needy. What is a sacrifice? Well, sacrifice is a lesser value for another. I don't know what a sacrifice would be. What's a sacrifice to like a Bill Gates? Which, by the way, I was just uh, I was talking with somebody that Steve Jobs, Gates, you know, has given so much, went to Jobs, and I guess Jobs wouldn't give him a nickel. But the, what is a sacrifice when you're a billionaire? I know what sacrifice is to some of our people. There's a lady in this church I found out, I had to kind of weasel it out of her. You know, she's been giving and helping this church. She's a single mom, got not a real well-paying job, and raising her kids. Her one gift during the week is she goes on Wednesday afternoons at lunch break to P.F. Chang's. She loves P.F. Chang's. She's eaten everything on the menu, and that's her one delight. And so she thought, what can I give to help? And so what she decided to do, as she prayed for the Lord last year, and she done it this whole year, is that she took the money that she would spend at P.F. Chang's, and that day she makes her lunch and gives that money to your ministry, to God. And I kind of said to her, you know, well, you don't really need to do it. And she kind of rebuked me. She said, Pastor, don't take that privilege from me. I said, well, how are the lunches? She said, kind of boring, but it's really working. It's working great. I know one of our collegians, you know what he does? He goes and he helps uh, some of our elderly with their computers, and they get these virus and things, and he scrubs them, and he cleans them, and he asks what the general market is, and he takes all that money. This isn't college down here. And he gives it to our ministry. Now, that kind of thinking is somebody who says, again, not bribing God, not being against wealth, is saying, I love the Lord, and I know that God honors that. One of the more fun offerings I ever was involved with was when I was speaking over in Moshi in Tanzania in Africa. I went to speak at this church, and all these people showed up, and they were bringing in, like, chickens and goats and papayas, and I thought, this is bizarre. And so we were sitting there, and... We sang, and then when time came for the offering, everybody stopped, and they left. And they went out to the, because the church was right by the street, and they sold everything out there. It took them about an hour, and then they brought all the money back singing, and they gave it to the church. It was great. We're, we did that to the 9 o'clock. When the people were in here, we sold all their cars. It was just a marvelous thing as they were <laughs> gathered here. But it was just kind of so raw and so earthy and so just tangible. And even some of them that brought food for the week, when, the, when they came up, they gave some of the beans. And the question is, did they give just a few or did they go, no, were they generous in what they did? And again, you, you watch this love that people have in that sense. I thank the Lord for you and I thank what God is going to do. Yes, we need... We got to get our preschool back over here. It's going to take, we need to get a new roof here. Yeah, we got ministry opportunities with people, our student ministry that's going well. Yeah, we have partners that are asking that we have helped out and, and all those things. I just take them and I say, Lord, they're yours. My concern this day is that you and I have such a joyful, grateful heart that we give to the Lord 
with great gratitude for what God has done. This is between you and Christ. Faith. What do you trust? Who do you trust? Hope. What are you living for? And love. Like He's loved us. Let's pray. God, you are such a great God, and you have given to us as Americans so abundantly. Lord, remind us this is not a game, and save us from, there's a line between faith and foolishness, God, just writing big numbers somehow that, God, we need to be good stewards of what we do have. God, I pray for those that can't really commit much, that, Lord, they commit their prayers, and thank you, Lord, we can give of the commodity of our era time in serving you and reaching out to others. So, Lord, I pray you'd make it clear on everybody's heart right now, God, what it is you're calling us to do. And, God, I know that you will honor them. I've seen you do this in my life so many times. So, Lord, bless the gift, bless the commitment, bless the giver, that Christ might be released by the power of the Holy Spirit more fully into all of our lives. In his name, for his sake, we pray. Amen.